What a wonderful promise. He's coming back some wonderful day. Amen. And looking forward to that day more and more. Well, we're instead of going forward to that day, we're going to go backward to the first day of creation tonight. Genesis chapter 1. Turn in your Bible there. And all along this series, as we've been dealing with avoiding confusion, we've talked about and emphasized the need that you need to have your life built upon a firm foundation. And that begins with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. And when he's right, then everything else uh, becomes right as well. And so it begins with those building blocks, those right building blocks. We've talked about the reliability of the Word of God. We can trust God's Word. You believe that, church? Amen. Amen. If you didn't, I would be in trouble. All right. Well, tonight, uh, because we can trust His Word, because we, Jesus is our cornerstone, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning, where in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. Well, in Genesis 1 is the answer to that. As we see the very beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And we're going to see tonight the biblical account of creation. Now, this is uh, something that people are often confused on today, and they want to begin to, uh, to undermine this uh, this area of Scripture. Many Christians today uh, even will not believe in the literal uh, interpretation of the Word of God when it comes to Genesis 1. And it is a very dangerous place because it begins a slippery slope because if you can't trust one part of God's Word, how can you trust the rest of it? And so we come here to Genesis 1, and I just want to point out a couple of things. Uh, God does speak of a, a literal uh, six-day creation here in Genesis 1 as well as in the book of Exodus. He also talks about this, uh, this literal six days of creation. And so as we look tonight, I'm not going to spend as much time defending that. I've, I've taught something similar to this to our teenagers over the years, and I would take several months on end and pull out a lot of evidence, a lot of uh, apologetics, and we're not going to do that. We're going to kind of just skim the surface tonight, if you will. And so if you like skim milk, this is perfect. If you like whole milk, you're going to be in trouble. We're going to be wanting a little bit more. All right, thank you for that. Uh, just a little bit of, all right. Well, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, we're going to read this, and then we'll jump down to verse 26 through 31 in your scripture tonight. Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, verse 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over the, uh, the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female, no, no other genders, created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of the, all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat." And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was, uh, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we thank you for the word of God. Lord, we thank you uh, for the fact that we can trust your word. And tonight, as we come before you, uh, we just pray that you would strengthen our faith, Lord, our ability to defend that faith, 
and to be able to talk to our kids about some of the things that they're facing in their school system regarding evolution uh, versus the truth of your creation. And so we thank you, Lord, that you, uh, in your great wisdom, in your great mercy, in your great grace, chose to create us, and even more so, that even though we sinned, that you chose to save us. And so we praise you tonight. Guide us, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen. Of all the doctrines that the Bible teaches, this is probably one of the most that's the most attacked, the most ridiculed, the most criticized, is that of the literal six-day creation by God's miraculous power. Over the years, there's been a lot of unbelievers that have worked to undermine our Christian belief system of creation and replace it with this secular, secularized humanist idea of evolution. These two uh, and these efforts have made a big impact. In fact, if you look at a, a creationism poll in 2007, uh, I think the, there we go, 50% of all Americans uh, told a pollster that they were very familiar with creationism. Not that they believed it, just they, believed, they had heard of it, they were familiar with it. But by 2014, that number dropped 12% to 38% of Americans had at least heard of, had were familiar with creationism. That's a very short amount of time for so many people to go ignorant. This attack on God's existence and upon His power is not a new phenomenon. It's wrapped today in something uh, that uh, some specific theories of evolution... But the idea of denying God and His existence is as old as uh, creation itself. And Peter described the scoffers who rejected the idea of literal creation and this whole worldwide creation and a worldwide flood. And he talks about them in, in 2 Peter 3, 5. It says, for this, uh, for this they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Notice in this verse that Peter not only tells us that these people refuse to believe, but why they refuse to believe it. They were willingly ignorant. They didn't want to acknowledge truth. Sound familiar today? Listen, a creator has the right to, de uh, to make demands of his creation and has the right to judge those who refuse to obey his laws, right? And so to avoid facing this kind of truth, people then have just tried to uh, remove God from the equation. And so they re uh, reject anyone who challenges their belief in no God. Matter of fact, courts have even ruled that teaching the theory of an intelligent design, that is, the idea that the complexity of life around us could not possibly have come out of random chance, but they ruled that this idea of teaching intelligent design as a contrast to, creation, uh, to evolution cannot be allowed because it's too close to creationism. So not only do they say, listen, you can't, you can't teach creationism, you can't even teach intelligent design theory. But in reality, the idea of evolution requires faith and belief just like creation does. I would argue that it requires more faith and more belief to go contrary to the laws of physics in order to believe in evolution than it does to trust God's Word and to believe that God, an omnipotent, almighty Creator, created all things. Listen, evolution is not based on scientific experiments. It's not based on science at all. It's based upon theory, man's ideas. It would be impossible to conduct any kind of, uh, of experiment to find out where uh, we, we came from. And so just as we accept by faith the Word of God, so evolutionists also accept by faith that they appeared from a big bang. Well, amen. It is, all by, it is by faith for them. So, uh, let's see, for Christians, listen, 
Christians, for, for us, it's, this is an important truth we must cling to. If we cannot believe Genesis 1 and 2, which describes God's creation, how can we believe anything else in the Bible? Listen, if the Bible is not reliable in the very beginning opening chapters, how can it be reliable about what happens at the end? How can it be reliable about what happens in the middle? And so as we look at this tonight, I just want to encourage you that uh, our desire, our aim is to strengthen our faith. And so first off, before we go any further, let's look first off at the testimony of the Creator. We'll see all that God has designed. So the debate between the evolution and creationists, uh, who both attempt to use scientific evidence to back up their claims, has one thing in common. Neither side was present at the beginning of the universe. You weren't there, and I weren't there. Even uh, uh, guys like Ken Ham, uh, as old as he may be, I got to meet him this last summer. He's a great guy, uh, but he's really intelligent. You ever know sometimes intelligent people uh, don't have much personality? That's all I'm going to say about that. Anyways, great guy, and he does a fantastic job, and I would highly recommend you taking your children grandchildren to see the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter. It's a tremendous faith-building place for your kids. I uh, highly recommend it. But we got to meet him at a book signing event he was doing and, and talk to him a little bit about the work that they were doing there. Just a tremendous, tremendous thing that they're doing. But listen, he wasn't there at Creation. Neither was anybody else on this earth today. But God was there. And he told us how he made the world. In Job chapter 38, verses 4 and 5, he said this, Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest, or hath stretched the line upon it? In Psalms 104, verse 5, he says, Who laid the foundations of the earth, that it should not be removed forever? You see, God was the one that was there at the beginning. He laid the foundation. He was the creator. And as a result, we can trust his account of creation to be accurate because it was his supernatural work that created all of these things. So let's see what he has to say. First off, let's look at his revelation here together tonight. Science, um, nothing in science which is properly understood and interpreted contradicts the biblical account of creation. Science is not our primary source of belief in creation. Rather, we base our belief on the fact that God's description of creation is accurate and aligns with what we see to be true around us. For, uh, so as we think about this, many people have tried to discredit creation from Genesis 1 and 2. And they say there's no science that can prove or disprove the origins of the universe. Since no one was there to witness the beginning of the universe, both conclusions then must be accepted by faith. Whether that's creation or evolution, they're accepted by faith. And believing requires faith in a chance. Okay, So neither can conduct an experiment that would validate their belief in what happened at the beginning. And so each must decide that he will believe based on what he chooses to regard as authoritative and reliable. So it is faith then, not science, that underlies every belief, whether it's creation or evolution, about the beginning of the world. Faith in God's Word is much better than faith in the changing ideas of science and scientific theories. Hebrews 11.3 says, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Henry Thiessen defined divine revelation as this, The act of God whereby He discloses Himself or communicates truth to the mind 
whereby he makes manifest to his creatures that which could not be known in any other way. And so God literally, through his divine revelation, shares with us the beginning of all that happened. We, could, we weren't there, we can't know. And so we come to his word, the created word, uh, world shows us God's power. Uh, but the biblical testimony of creation is that God merely spoke and the world came into existence. Psalm 33 verse 9 says, For he spake and it was done. Amen? I, I think about that old uh, uh, Ten Commandments. So let it be written, so let it be done. So it was spoken, so it was done. Amen? Uh, all right. I, I know, it's cheesy tonight. I don't know what to, what's wrong. But listen, creation reveals to us that God is self-existent. He doesn't need anybody else. He doesn't need my help. He doesn't need science's help. He is the self-existent one, and He is the uncaused cause of all things. This is something that is described by the Latin phrase, creatio ex nihilo, which means creation out of nothing, and that means literally God is eternal and has always existed and as a, as a result is referred to throughout Scripture as such. Hebrews 1 and verses 12, 10 through 12 says, And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same and thy years shall not fail. Think about this with our Lord tonight. He was the one that was, has always been eternal. And though this world may be getting older, he's still the same age as he was when it all started. He's never aged. I, you know, I, I thought about that as I was studying, and I thought, you know, our God's never gotten a day older in his life because he never has a birthday. But listen, not only is God self-existent, but he's pre-existent. He's separate from this creation. John 1 1 through 3, I quoted a part of that a while ago. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. Listen, He is the pre-existent from all that we see. An evolutionist worldview, on the other hand, though, sees matter, not God, as preeminent. So where we see God as the preeminent one over all things, the, the author of all things and creator of all things, they see it as matter. One author said this, so the humanist worldview holds to evolution, rejection, rejecting a biblical teaching of creation of all things by God. It is a materialistic worldview which argues that matter and energy are all that exists. The atheist scientist Dr. Carl Sagan stated the materialist view in his television series Cosmos, claiming the cosmos is all that is or ever was or ever will be. What a terrible, terrible thing to have to believe. If this is all there is, what hope is there in this life? And so evolutionists see the universe then comprised solely of matter and energy. The biblical Christian sees instead that God and infinite uh, spirit precedes and is distinct from created matter. God is eternal. Matter is not. He spoke and it became. That's all there is. And then one day we'll see all of this matter dissolve. But this is what's awesome is God never changes. These verses uh, that I'll share with you, Revelation and Isaiah and Psalms, they, they really describe the eternal grandeur of our God. Listen to what he says, Revelation 1.8, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, which is to come, the Almighty. 
That's our God today. Isaiah 43, 10, he says, Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my, uh, my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God form, neither shall there be after me. He says, I'm it. That's all there is. Psalm 90 and verse 2, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. What a great God that we serve. It takes more faith to believe in, in the uncaused cause that brought everything into existence is matter and energy than to believe in the Lord. It takes more faith to believe that all of this happened just because uh, energy one day exploded, bringing the universe. And I always want to know, where did the energy and matter first come from? But they say, well, it's always existed. And it had to have some sort of a start date. Otherwise, otherwise that becomes your God. One, uh, one author said, Walter Bradley said, I think people who believe that life emerged naturalistically need to have more faith than people who reasonably infer that there was an intelligent designer. Walter Bradley is a specialist in materials, science, and mechanical engineering. Jonathan Wells, who is a scientist in molecular and cellular biology, says Darwinism is merely materialistic philosophy masquerading as science, and people are recognizing it for what it is. You see... We, need, we recognize we have a creator tonight. We recognize from his word. We also see his word is reliable tonight. Think about the testimony that God's given with us. And the testimony of the creator is not just a revelation of himself through creation, but is also his reliability as seen through creation. The very fact that our world is still being held together and continues is testimony to the reliability of God. Have you ever built something and it fell apart? Uh, Buy something in a small box from China and put it, and it's supposed to be about this big and, and it comes in a box this size. And put it all together and see how long it lasts with all those millions of nuts and bolts and everything else. I always loved uh, when Zeke was here, he'd tell us, if it's made in Asia, I can fix it. Uh, just about like that, I think. And I said, well, I'm glad you're here then because there's a lot of stuff made in Asia. I can't fix none of it. So, but, you know, it seemed like every time I built something, it wouldn't last very long but everything that God's made, we've seen, has endurance in it. In this world, even as it ages in this last 6,000 years, we see that God has created in it uh, just this ability for it to continue. It is just a, a beautiful thing of all that God has done. Colossians 1.7 says, And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. This verse not only contradicts evolution, but it also contracts, uh, contradicts the idea that God created the world and then just set it in motion to run its course. You see, God is still actively involved. This word consists in the verse means to place together uh, and uh, to be composed of. God is literally actively involved in His creation today. And He is holding things together. And it is only through His power that this world continues to exist. And so the testimony of the Creator is true and is trustworthy. But that's not the only reason we believe in creation itself. We see the testimony of creation around us. Now, there's a lot of evidence today that points to uh, a, a young earth. There's a lot of evidence today that points to an original creation that was about 6,000 years ago. And I'm not going to go into a lot of that depth tonight, but there, uh, I would highly encourage you. Uh, there's some good websites like Answers in Genesis that is put out by uh, Ken Helm and, and the group that he uh, organizes. Yeah, there's a closer place if you want to see it right here in Branson called the Creation Museum of the Ozarks. 
And uh, it's a much smaller scale, much more simple scale, but it's also a good resource to be able to take uh, your kids or grandkids to see some of that truth there. But the work that God did in making the world continues to bear witness to His power and His glory today. It's unmistakable to those who are willing uh, to look and see uh, around them that God is still at work and His power uh, is evident around us. So creation doesn't give the details of God's plan. We recognize that. I can't go to a tree, open up its bark and say, oh, oh, that's how God did it. But what we see instead is that it reveals that there is a God, that He was at work in creation, and that all around us there's evidence of Him. The Psalms chapter 19, verses 1 and 3 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. He says, listen, as you look up at the night sky, it's evident all around us of God's incredible power. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Again, this general revelation that God's pointing to says, Listen, as you look around us, you're, you see my handiwork in the world around you. The Bible opens with this statement, In the beginning God created. The form of create in the Bible is used 53 times in Scripture. And it's one of those times that are used to, uh, to note God's act of creating this universe. So how does this universe testify to, of its creator? First off, we look at its product. God is a God of order, amen, uh, which is evidence when I was a kid and uh, that, that God wasn't in control of my room uh, because my room was chaos. <laughs> but listen, God's a God of order. And the world that he made reflects all of that order. And so God assigned uh, an appointed and a designated place for everything that he made. And it functions just like he intended. Genesis 1, 16 through 17 says, And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. Everything in its order, in its place. And then verse 17, God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. Notice the word set. It means to put or point or sign or designate. So God specifically set the sun, the moon, and the stars in their places with divine order. If these varied, even in minor details, life as we know it would be completely impossible. Simply put, the universe is too orderly, too intricate, and too precise to have just happened by an explosion, by happen chance. Happen chance. Notice just a few of the features of God's design. First off, we see an ideal galaxy. The Earth is part of the Milky Way galaxy, which is a spiral galaxy, which is the only kind suitable for life. The next one I want to point out is the, uh, our solar system. Less than a 5% variation in the distance between the Earth and the Sun would kill all life. Either it would be excessively hot or excessively cold. There's also the ideal gravitational field. Jupiter, which is the largest planet in our solar system, acts as a vacuum cleaner and it sucks uh, all the debris uh, that could hit Earth uh, from, uh, from hitting us. It's just an incredible thing that God has designed there. And so what Earth could potentially be hit with uh, gets sucked into Jupiter as well uh, instead. We have an ideal sun. 90% of the stars in our galaxy are red dwarfs. Our sun is rare and it's a perfect star to give off uh, the precise amount of heat without producing a lethal amount of radiation. 
Uh, and so it's just, a, it's just perfect what God has designed. And there's also an ideal moon. If the moon were larger or smaller, it would cause our rotation around the sun to slow down or speed up as a result. It would also produce tides that cause flooding or were too small to maintain the health of the oceans. And so these are, this is just a few of the things that we can point at. There's countless, countless others, but these are just some, some that we can look at and say, this is an evidence that our God is a God of order, that our God is a God of perfect design. And, and if we looking on a grand scale in our galaxy, we can see that God has, has set these things in motion uh, with a preciseness that amazes me. But also we see uh, in the universe the, tes- uh, the testimony of, our, uh, of the product, but also its purpose. God didn't make the world because he needed something he did not have. God is eternally self-sufficient. It means he doesn't need anything to, uh, to, he doesn't need to add anything to his power. He is self-sufficient all by himself. You know, if if, uh, in my home we're not self-sufficient, I have to have uh, electric lines coming into my house because we can't have power without an outside source. Listen, God doesn't need any outside sources. He is, that's what when we say he's self-sufficient, he doesn't need anything. He doesn't need me. He is completely uh, sufficient in himself. So we cannot increase his resources by anything we possess or do. So just a reminder, God doesn't need us, but he desires to have a relationship with us. So it was his desire to make the world and everything in it. And that's why he did it, because he loves us, because he wants to, uh, wants to be part of our lives. So our, our lives then are part of his plan. And everything around us is a reminder of his power and of his perfection. Colossians 1.16, we, we looked at this a while ago. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. Listen, He doesn't need us, but He chose to make us because He loves us. Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and listen what He says, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. You see, the fact that God had a purpose in His creation applies to us as individuals as well. We're not the products of chance or accident. We are intentionally created beings who have been designed for God's pleasure. And so when we offer praise to Him, we come together on a Wednesday night, and I know we get tired uh, on a Wednesday because we've worked all day, and amen, uh, it seems like the alarm clock went off two days ago. Doesn't it seem like that on Wednesday night? But when we come together and we get to gather together in church, when we offer that praise to Him, we are fulfilling one of the primary purposes of our existence. What a great privilege we have. Psalms 139, verse 13. For Thou hast possessed my reins, Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise Thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are Thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. You see, we are made for praise, aren't we? But we also see in this product that he's created, the perfection. The world we live in today is a broken world. It's been marred by the effects of sin. But when it was originally made, there was nothing wrong with it. It was perfect. Matter of fact, in Genesis 1.31, it 
The Bible says, And God saw everything that He made, and behold, it was what, church? Very good. The beauty and the wonder that we see in the world is only a shadow of what it once was. Could you imagine what the Garden of Eden was like? How many of you are gardeners? Like a beautiful garden. And then you, you look at your garden, and every year you work and you labor in your garden, keep those weeds out. Could you imagine what Adam and Eve enjoyed in the Garden of Eden? Man, I, it just boggles my mind. If, if we think this is beautiful, imagine what that looked like then. Uh, the daffodils, aren't they been pretty the last few days? Imagine what they would have been like that all year long. Not just for a few days out of the year. Just all day long in the Garden of Eden as, as Adam and Eve tended that garden. They found the daffodils and they, those are coming up and they're tending them and, and preparing them. How beautiful things must have truly been. No thorns. We've been, we've been cleaning out thorns and, and picking up broken sticks and burning those. We had big bonfires and things that we're trying to clean up the property a little bit. And, and those thorn bushes, my sons were going around chopping those thorn bushes. And, and it, it wasn't thorn bushes, it was poison oak. <laughs> You got to love it. Amen. I said, thank you, Lord. It wasn't me that day. <laughs> well, I, I look at that and I think, man, in the garden, there wasn't even poison oak to bother them. Wasn't poison ivy, none of those things. And so if you see Josiah and all those things on his face, that's poison oak. What a blessing. But listen, it was perfect. It was a wonderful place where God's approval was on it. But one day we realized that God will restore the perfection of the garden here once again. All of the pain, the suffering, the heartache, the labor that came into the world as a result of sin will be wiped away. And the Bible tells us that creation itself that has suffered the impact of sin and groans over the effects of the fall, we will look forward to seeing the day when that will be replaced with joy and God reverses the effects of the fall during Christ's millennial reign. Romans chapter 8, verses 22 and 23. For we know that the whole creation groaneth, and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. This afternoon I was at the bedside of Sister Alberta as she prepares to make the transition into heaven. And I was just reminded of the devastating effects of all the, the sin that we see in this world as we say goodbye to some that we love and some that we have cherished. And as we had a wonderful homegoing celebration for Brother Don Gifford yesterday, you know, those effects of sin, they're painful. But God says one day those things will be wiped away. Those things are going to be gone. It won't even be a memory. We're going to remember just the good things that God has got offered us. James 1.17, Every good and perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. I want to share one last thing, the testimony of the conflict. One of the indicators of that truth of creation is important is the amount of work the devil puts into undermining God's word. If it were a minor issue, Satan would not devote so much effort to convincing people of the lie of evolution. Notice, I mean, everywhere you look today... Everywhere you, you turn on a movie, a, a child's movie especially, uh, they're just hammering you with uh, 50 billion years ago, so and so many ye million years ago. They don't even know how many millions and billions it is anymore. They, they got it all confused. Listen, his purpose, Satan's purpose is to undermine our children's faith in God and our faith in his word. That's why he did it to Eve in the Garden of Eden and he still does it today. 
The, very quickly, there's the realm of the rebellion. There was a time when Satan was known as Lucifer, and he held a position, exalted position in heaven. He was bright and glorious. He was a leader among the angels in worship of God. Yet that wasn't enough for him. We recognize the Bible teaches that rather fulfilling the purpose that God gave him, Satan determined that he would become the exalted one himself. In uh, John Milton's book, Paradise Lost, he described Lucifer's rebellion as a decision that it would be better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven, is what he wrote. Isaiah 14 describes this event in heaven. In verses 12 through 15, it says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet the Bible says, Thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. You see, the purpose of everything that the devil is, is, is to undermine the plan of God. That's his purpose. He wants to do everything he can to destroy and to undermine what God is doing. He is constantly working, not for the betterment of others, but for the destruction and doom. So we should expect nothing less from the one who Jesus described as, as the father of all lies. Remember John 8, 44, he told those Pharisees, You're of your father the devil, the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. We can't trust anything the devil says. Remember in John 10, 10, the Bible says that the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Satan was not content to draw away some of the angels who once served God. He set his sights on the human race that God had designed, that God had created. And from the very beginning, he began to focus attack on the reliability of God's word. In Genesis chapter 3, they remember when he came there in Genesis 3 and verse 1, he says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said. He began to question the word of God. Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. You see, his motive was to make them, uh, to undermine everything that God had said. Listen, it's the same thing he's doing today. And we see in verse 2, And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the true fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. Again, undermining God's word every step of the way. You see, if Adam and Eve had believed God rather than Satan, they would not have disobeyed in the first place. If we would believe God's word, if we, if we come to God's word and say, God, I, just, I, I believe what you say from beginning to end, from cover to cover, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to trust your word with everything that's in me. I'm telling you, it will make a difference in, in, uh, in not being deceived today. God gives you a spirit of discernment so that you can uh, be able to see when Satan is trying to lead you astray. You see, the teaching of evolution, like many other teachings of Satan, is a direct assault on God's trustworthiness and his reliability. Either God is correct in the word that he declares, or he is a liar. You can't have it both ways. One of the purposes of the theory of evolution, then, is to corrode faith in God. There was a biologist named Francisco uh, Ayala, and uh, said of Charles, Charles Darwin's greatest accomplishment was to show how the development of life was the result of a natural process, a natural selection, without any need to result to a creator. That's the whole point of it. The whole point of it was to say, listen, we don't need God. We're going to cast him off of this thing instead of saying, God, we trust in 
you. Michael Denton, who was an Australian molecular biologist and physician, agreed that Darwinism broke man's link with God and consequently set him adrift in the cosmos without purpose. He wrote this, As far as Christianity is concerned, the advent of the theory of evolution was catastrophic. The decline in religious belief can probably be attributed more to the propitiation and advocacy by the intellectual and scientific community of the Darwinian version of evolution than to other, any other single factor. You see, Satan constantly works to cloud the judgment and vision of people. He's constantly trying to, to make sure that you don't see God's Word for what it is. He's trying to use a deception and not truth. But he's wanting the deception to look like truth. And he's, he's not, uh, not going to illuminate what's real. He wants instead to conceal it. So evolution is a prime example of the way that Satan's deceptions have led people uh, to, uh, to be blind to the truth. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the Bible says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. You see, evolution requires that people disregard what, what God has said. And, and many people find that preferable to having to deal with the fact that there is a creator and a judge that we must all face. There is a false comfort in evolution. And this false comfort allows people to indulge in their desire and not think about any consequences about their actions. Romans 1.21 says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Romans 1.25 says, Who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. You see, scientific evidence has increasingly contradicted this Darwinian theory. And the facts that we find support more and more that of a creator, or at least that intelligent design. Yet, by and large, many non-Christians still refuse to acknowledge this evidence. One biochemist named Michael Behe of LA University said, The conclusions of intelligent design flow naturally from the data itself, not from sacred books or secretarian beliefs. The reluctance of science to embrace the conclusion of intelligent design has no justifiable foundation. Many people, including many important and well-respected scientists, just don't want there to be anything beyond nature. The reality is they were willfully ignorant. This willful ignorance is not unlike what the Apostle Peter describes. In 2 Peter 3, he says, Knowing this, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Does this, this sounds familiar to me today. Does it to you all? For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the, in the water. It's interesting that this passage refers to a worldwide flood. Described in Genesis 6, evolutionists, of course, deny this biblical account as well, because... It emphasizes, again, man's accountability to God and God's right to judge man. So when oftentimes they'll deny the creation, and with that denial, also deny the biblical account of the flood. And so the flood answers many questions that are raised by non-believers today and non-believing scientists and non-believing archaeologists. Simply put, it's the fossils 
that evolutionary scientists suggest support their process, expect, expect uh, if there had been a worldwide flood and the scripture records. Uh, that, that's where they would be. But I want to just share a couple of things with you as we just wrap up this. I'm reminded that the Lord is merciful. And He's provided a road of restoration even to those who initially reject Him. And He offers a pathway for sinful man to know Him. Aren't you thankful that uh, through the death of His Son, we can be saved? We saw this earlier that men reject the message of creation because they reject the Creator. But the key to knowing God is not simply... Uh, faith in creationism. It's not simply faith in an intelligent design. It is faith in the revelation of the Creator. Specifically, it is to take God at His word, to believe that we are sinners, that He has paid for our sin, and has turned to God in faith, in repentance and faith. In Acts chapter 20, verse 21, it says, testifying both to the Jews and, to, and to the, uh, also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, if you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, the Bible says that He invites you to turn to Him and call upon Him for salvation. If you don't know Christ already, understand that the primary message that you have to share with this world uh, that, that God wants for you to have tonight is not creationism, but that of salvation through Jesus alone. If we have Christ, the primary message is that of salvation. It's an important. I love creation. I love the fact that we can know that we know what God's Word is true, but the reality is the primary message is that people must know the Creator through Christ. Faith in God is not irrational. Being able to believe in Him is, is the only rational response to His revealed truth. That what we see in nature, that what we see in His Word. Even some of the most ardent evolutionists and atheists have been won by faith by the power of the gospel. Rick Oliver has his Ph.D. in biology from the University of California he is a member of the American Federation of Horticulturalists. He is a California Science Teacher Association, and he's also a member of the New York Academy of Science. In an article describing how the intricate design pointed him to Christ, he wrote the following. I remember how frustrated I became when, as a young atheist, I examined specimens under the microscope. I would often walk away and try not to convince myself that I was uh, not, and I would try to convince myself that I was not seeing examples of extraordinary design but merely the products of some random, unexplained mutations. Even as an atheist, I could not get away from the evidence. Eventually, by God's grace, I accepted the simple yet compelling truth of the Bible. You see, we see throughout the Bible and in the world around us a threefold witness to the reality of creation. One, there's the testimony of the Creator. God told us plainly, He made the world. We can trust Him. Secondly, we see this te testimony in creation. The intricacies, the complexities of the natural world agree with the biblical account of divine creation followed by the fall of man. There's also the testimony of the conflict, this attack uh, on a logical conclusion by this, uh, of creation evidences reveal a deeper motive of rejecting God. And if we surrender on the topic of evolution in order to just be accepted by the world, we're giving up a key distinctive of our faith. You see, when we study uh, the Word of God tonight and we see, the, see God's truth, we must be able to say, God, I believe every aspect of it from cover to cover. And I want my children to be able to come to science class armed with truth that, man, uh, God's Word says, thus saith the Lord, and the evidence does support this. 
And I'm just so thankful that we can come back to the Word of God. Our faith can be strengthened. And tonight, we, are, uh, we can be reminded that, listen, we don't have to fall for every uh, lie and every delusion that is out there. And so let us be willing to say, God, we choose to trust you. Would you bow your head with me tonight?